You know, every time I speak, I want the truth to come out. You know what I'm saying? Every time I speak, I want to shiver. You know, I don't want them to be like, they know what I'm going to say because it's polite. They know what I'm going to say. And even if I get in trouble, you know what I'm saying? That ain't that what we're supposed to do? It's, I'm not saying I'm going to rule the world or I'm going to change the world, but I guarantee that I will spark the, the, the brain that will change the world. I think what you're trying to ask is uh, why am I so insistent upon giving out to them that blackness, that black power, that black pushing them to identify with uh, 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 black culture. I think that's what you're asking. It's, it's, I have no choice over it. In the first place, to me, we are the most beautiful creatures in the whole world, black people. I mean, and I mean that in every, every sense, uh, outside and inside. And to me, we have a culture that uh, is surpassed by, 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 by no other civilization, but we don't know anything about it. So, again, I think I said this before in the same interview, I think uh, at some time before, my, my job is to somehow make them curious enough or persuade them by hook or crook to get more aware of themselves and where they came from and what they are into and what is already there and just to bring it out. This is what compels me to compel them. And I will do it by whatever means necessary. I am your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Dr. Tiffany King, and welcome to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. We are the return of intelligent radio as we ensure the free flow of opinions and push the envelope on the questions America's afraid to ask in the mainstream media. Good morning, Dr. King. Glad to have you on with me this morning. How are you doing? I'm sorry. Bring you... I'm sorry, I gotta bring you live. Sorry about that. How you doing this morning, Queen? We got you live now. I'm wonderful. Thank you for having me and good morning as well. Uh, glad to have you, if you will, before we introduce our special guest. Tell them a little bit about your background. Glad to have you on for this particular discussion question. If you are a first-time listener, we do our show in the form of a question. I go by the name Black Socrates. We take the Socratic method to a bunch of questions to get to the right answer. But if you will, Queen, let them know about your background before we introduce your, our special guest and your friend, Dr. Grady. Go ahead, Queen. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Tiffany King, as Latoya said, and uh, I've been – Worked in the field of research and human development for the last 25 plus years, and just really love, as Latoya alluded to, asking questions. That's the, that's the, the root of research. So, asking questions and being willing to continue asking questions, even when we think we've learned everything we can. So, that's why I'm here. I'm here to be a part of the conversation and hope to be part of some solutions as well. Now, sounds good. If you will, Queen, call back in. It's a little difficult to hear you, so I don't know if we got a slightly bad connection. So if you will, just call right back in, and I'll introduce our next special guest who's actually recently been on the show, and we've been doing a lot of work together, uh, Dr. Anthony Grady. Thank you, King, for being with us this morning. If you will, um, say hello to the intellectual outcasts out there listening, and if you will, share your background again. Again, I'm glad to have you on Thursday night's community checkup. I've been getting amazing feedback from it. But, again, glad to reintroduce you for those who've heard you before and for those who have not. How are you doing this morning, King? 
Good morning, sir. Good morning, Tiffany. It's always good to hear from you and talk to you. As you guys know, I'm Dr. Anthony Grady. Always love to work with black soccer teams. Always spit knowledge. Um, therapist, behavior therapist, uh, Chicago, Illinois. Working on trying to create ways to help our youth and our families survive uh, with all the challenges that we face today. Simple. No, I love it. You are the catalyst for this show. Again, we did this amazing show. Just for those who don't know, uh, we do a couple of private community Zooms, if you will, and I do this one particular one with uh, the brother by the name of Cecile with the Arts and Culture Show. We do come together and put on the community checkup, y'all all right, and we were fortunate enough to have on Dr. Grady again for that. He had been on one time before for the community checkup where we bring professionals like a Dr. Grady to the community. And it's kind of a bridge to mental health. And we were talking about anger management in general. And even in, you know, in a sense, asking, could you come on for that? Dr. Grady, you said, you know what? I really want to talk to people about what we see happening out here with amongst our youth, um, the level of violence, the level of triggering that we see amongst our youth. And I said, you know what? Let's do that for the show, if you will. And so, you know, you've been putting in double duty, uh, basically, uh, you know, really representing old mental dialogue, if you will, by just coming through so much. So I just want to, I want to say I appreciate you and to go ahead and let the cat out the bag for this morning's discussion question. Young, black, and violent, are you triggered more than ever? Is that this morning's discussion question? Again, Dr. Grady, I want to hail you for us having this discussion this morning. Uh, real briefly, before I go back to uh, Dr. King, uh, what, what were your thoughts in just wanting to bring this conversation to the public, if you will? Dr. Grady, you may be on mute. Yeah, we can hear you now. Go ahead. Yeah, what was yeah, what was your thoughts in saying, Montoya? Can we can we can we talk to the public about this particular issue? Um, uh, what was your thoughts and just wanting to bring it to the public, you know, with your background and everything? Well, I think the reason why I said it is because in Chicago, and I know in most cities, we're having an abundance of violence amongst young people, and it's not just black males, it's black females as well. And, I, and I'm trying to figure out what are, what are the triggers? Why are we now experiencing this high rate of aggression? Even though we're back into a semi-normal setting, we still have a lot of anger. And so for me, I want to know from other people, what are they experiencing in their own home or own neighborhoods or culture, uh, the sense of increased anxiety or increased anger that young people face because it's changing the culture and how we administrate laws and how we advocate now for young people. So it's becoming very threatening. So that's why I'm glad when, I, when we talked about this, you were like, bro, that's a great topic because – the information that you put out there is always generating some positive feedback about how we can do things different. So that prompted a lot of this because I see it more and more every day. Even with school just starting, I got kids fighting and arguing, and they haven't seen each other all summer, so I'm trying to understand what's the dialogue there. No, I love it. So, again, thank you for this excellent talk, topic, uh, Dr. King, again, you and Dr. Grady. Uh, basically, you were – Dr. Grady was a referral from you. So, again, I thank you for, um, you know, gracing us with this um, brother's um, intelligence and just concern about our community. Again, what we do, we specialize in necessary conversations, you know, within our community on race, sex, culture, and African-American business. So again, thank you for the referral, if you will, Queen. And, and I say, hey, are you available? And you was like, yep, Dr. Grady, let's do it again. And you came in on Thursday night as well. So I appreciate you for the extra time. But with that said, Queen, you've been on the show before, and we always like to start a very particular way. And we got a couple of minutes before we go to break. So if you will, uh, you said, yeah, I'll join Dr. Grady. I didn't necessarily tell you how the what the question was. And so when you first saw 
this question promoted, young, black, and violent, or you've triggered more than ever. What was your initial thought to hearing the question worded that particular way, Dr. King? Um, as a as a mother of uh, two young black black boys who are growing into young men and hopefully into um, you know strong black men, I uh, immediately resonated with it because they attend school every day and, and we're seeing it already. They're, they're literally three weeks into school out here and the fights and suspensions and it's amongst not even just the high schoolers. My my ten year old. It's, it's happening in his in his grade, so I absolutely resonated with the fact that it's happening. Um, I'm seeing it myself, um, but also I'm surrounded by educators, and so I'm hearing the same thing from all of my friends and colleagues who are in the classroom and um, who are also navigating different spaces with me. It's, it's pretty much a consensus across the board that there's some concern here that we need to take a, a deeper look at, for sure. Wow. Okay. And I'm, and this is my first year actually not being in the school system uh, from the sense that I've spent the last seven years being an after school, um, you know, educator, if you will. And so I haven't necessarily witnessed the returning of school this year because it's the first year I didn't have to return to school, if you will. So it's kind of alarming to hear both of you, um, you, um, you know, and I know Dr. Grady has uh, some, some children as well, but I know you, as you said, even your youngest, just hearing that, hey, this return seems to be um, um, heightened with this type of stuff. Uh, Dr. Grady, we only got about 30 seconds, and I just want to get a quick thought because, again, you brought this topic, but you hadn't heard it how you hadn't heard how I would word it until you maybe saw it a couple of days ago. And so, when you saw the question worded that way, I just want to one initial thought. Don't go into your second or third thought, but what was your initial thought to saying, okay, this is how Montoya worded it? What did you think when you saw it worded this way? Man, excellent. I mean, right to the point. No, I love it. No, I definitely wanted to know what you thought of it. All right, y'all, for all those out there listening, we are going to get our first break. When we come back, we will get hot and heavy into this morning's discussion. We will eventually open up the phone lines because Dr. Grady said he wants to hear from y'all. What are y'all seeing out there? What are you witnesses witnessing? What questions may you have for our experts? That's what we're here to be a community resource. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Hey, Smith Harvey, where you find that Prince Simon of the Times on vinyl at? Real talk, you got a dope vinyl collection. What, you been collecting them, like, over the years or something? No, actually, I just started my collection. But my man Tobago over at DBS Sounds, he be hooking me up. You remember DBS Sounds? On the south side? They still around? I figured most of the record stores in Atlanta be closed by now. Hey, vinyl is the new wave, and DBS Sounds got the best collection in town. You can still go there and flip through vinyl. They still got CDs and mixtapes, too. Let me check their IG page at DBS Sounds ATL. They still be having artists in stores and everything. Hey, you want to run by there? Hey, man, I ain't got time right now. I got to go back to Cali tomorrow, but I might have to catch them next time. I'm in. Oh, nah, you good. Even when you get home, you can just shop at their online store at dbssounds.com. They'll ship directly to you anywhere in the country. Matter of fact, jump on dbssounds.com on your phone and order straight from there. Word? Hey, I'm about to get my music game up. Hey, what's their address? In case I get a chance to swing by there, I'm, I'm going to pick up that new Kendra Lamar CD. Oh, they at 6604 Highway 85, Riverdale, Georgia. Bet. We're seeing is a very specific, dramatic increase in murder and gun violence. There was about a 30% increase nationally in murder from 2019 to 2020. Year on year, it was by far the largest increase 
ever recorded. We have data going back to the 1960s in terms of national murder trends. The largest previous increase was 12, 12.5% year on year. So a 30% increase was really dramatic. Gun violence has been consistent as an American, as an apple pie. Unfortunately, the rise in violence has occurred just about everywhere in the United States without much difference regionally. But the rise in gun violence impacts the population unequally. The risk of homicide is much, much, much higher if you're black than if you are any other race or ethnicity. In the United States, black people are over 12 times more likely to be a victim of gun homicide than white people. Everything is pretty much set up and designed for some African-American youth to fail. It feels like it's an attack on black men. You know what I mean? It feels like, to be honest, like the world hates me. When I was 15, I knew I was going to die at 18 and I accepted it. Trauma is ubiquitous in this area. The victims of violence are traumatized. The perpetrators are traumatized. The law enforcement and other officials who are working with these populations are traumatized. So having a trauma-informed approach to these issues is really important. Here's why murder rates are rising in the U.S. and what we can do about it. If you were to look at the overall crime data since the start of the pandemic, it doesn't look like there's much of a problem. When we talk about crime going up or down, for the most part, in most places, crime is falling because people aren't out and about. You can't shoplift if stores have been closed in 2020 and 2021. But when you separate out the data on murder, it becomes clearer that something has changed in the past few years. A lot of these sort of crimes of randomness, crimes of mobility, which makes up that big capital C crime number, those are down thanks to the pandemic. There are four major categories when talking about violent crime. Homicide, rape, robbery, and aggravated assault. Violent crime as a category rose about 5% between 2019 and 2020. Homicide, which is more colloquially referred to as murder, rose nearly 30%. It's gun violence and murder which make up this tiny slice of overall major crime that is really what we're seeing this sort of sustained increase. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Dr. Tiffany King. This morning's discussion question, young, black, and violent, are youth triggered more than ever? Our special guest is Dr. Anthony Grady. As we hear basically a news cut breaking down what we're witnessing to a degree when it comes to violence in particular, how crime in itself is overall down, but aggravated assaults and murder in particularly, as you just heard, 30% increase for those who know I'm definitely into the numbers for context. The numbers can't tell you everything. However, a 30% increase I will highlight is the largest increase they've ever seen since keeping FBI crime databases um, stats on murder since the 60s. Uh, when we haven't returned to the height of the early 90s, if you will, uh, but we did have a 30% increase. And almost just as both of you said, going into the school year, trying to figure this thing out, you can imagine the FBI, in particular when it comes to the most violent crimes, are trying to figure this thing out as well. Um, Dr. Gray, I'll start with you as the guest. Just in hearing those cuts, um, you know, kind of taking it almost to a whole nother level because, again, you're just talking about the heightened anxiety amongst youth coming into schools. But uh, unfortunately, we know that those things today 
can lead to probably some of what we're seeing with these stats in reference to, you know, back in our day, we just throw fights and be, you know, get into a fight and be friends again. We know it's not quite that simple these days, but your thoughts and hearing those numbers, um, um, go, go ahead, go ahead, King. You know, those numbers are astronomical. And the reason I say that is, and I'm going to digress and come right to that question. I was watching the video because it's political season, and they showed a video, and the videos were derogatory and showing violence among just black men shooting, the fighting, rioting. And that's what prompted the conversation. And so now when we talk about these stats, they make you wonder, why are we at this level? Especially with the fact that COVID shut a lot of things down. So if we are not able to steal rob, why are we killing? That's scary. Because these youth are young, and I'm talking about not 18, 19, 20. I'm talking about 14, 15, and 16. Just last year, the schools that I work with in Indiana had three shootings, and it wasn't even the first start of school. So now my question is, what do we need to do to change that? Because the guns are not getting here by me. And how are they getting access to them? And that's the biggest thing, because some of these states allow young people to shoot and, and, and use weapons at an early age. I had a kid that was 18. He was a security guard at a complex, and when I saw him, he was carrying a gun. Threw me, threw me for a loop, and I never said anything to him, but it was just amazing to me to see that. So these are the concerns that our kids can't even manage their emotions, but they're out here arguing and fighting and shooting each other with no remorse and no feelings until they're later caught or addressed. So that's a concern for me, especially those numbers. Now, I love it, Dr. King. Um, your thoughts to, to you know, anything Dr. Grady said or the numbers, any way you want to go with it, Queen? I think that the I only wanted to add to to like what Dr. Grady said. I mean, he's really encompassed everything at this point. But um, this constant state of triggering, and I, I don't know if we'll have time to really get into the you know kind of what's happening mentally and emotionally. But you know, we could all we could already wrap our heads around the fact that as, as black people, we could constantly be in a state of rage. Right? One of one of our greats gave us gave, gave us that. If you're black in, in this country. To be in a constant state of rage is not abnormal, but what we're seeing is this this self uh, um, displaced rage that is just it's beyond you know really words. And so I, I, I'm hoping that we can, you know, at least at some point touch on the fact that there's this this, this constant state of being triggered. It's not you know it's not like it's it's not it's not like it's happening. It's constantly. It's being in a constant state of just being triggered. And so, you know, why is that? And what led us to that point? No, I love it. Um, I hope we, that's where I want to go. We're, we're mental dialogue. I mean, we don't want to just, you know, have a conversation about what's happening. Again, you know, obviously we're bringing some of the data to the table to kind of just get, you know, in a sense, get a baseline informed that, hey, this ain't just something that's new and, and to even highlight it ain't just what we've always been seeing it is a, a heightened level to the extent that we're seeing these results and just to mention some of what you said um dr grady in reference to you know how to get their hands on the guns and this type of thing and then like you said what triggered you to even want to do this discussion was seeing something in the media unfortunately highlighting if you will african-american boys or african-american males if you will uh, getting into these situations and we obviously you know, both of you, in a sense, being from Chicago, Chicago obviously is notorious in the media because of, unfortunately, the level of, you know, the number of murders that have kind of persisted there for years. But as we see, a 30 percent increase is, is a major issue. Here's what I here's what I want to throw out again in sharing these numbers, because the media won't be fair. The media won't provide context. 
And so just in doing the research, um, clearly, you, you know, we mentioned Chicago, so everybody has a, a thought in their mind. Or like you said, you saw that video, that video or, or whatever you saw, Dr. Grady, of these black men, black boys. Here's the reality of what we're seeing with this 30% increase. The reality is it's happening everywhere. Um, I'm, I'm not being not defending. I'm talking about what the numbers when you dig into them and go into the context of it. The reason is 30%. Again, this is countrywide. It's not 30% in Chicago. It's not 30% in Atlanta. It's not 30% in Los Angeles. It is, but it's all. But here's the thing: not just the big cities. So what happens with the media? They all shoot to the cities. And we do kind of have in our mindset as an American public, if you will, we have a mindset that, hey, there's places where I can move and be devoid of that. That has been the case for the most part to a degree. It's even um, even in the areas of the Chicago's of the world or the Phillies of the world or the New York's of the world where we've heard about these things over the years or Los Angeles became infamous in the 90s during this, during not, you know, the height height of the murder rate, if you will. And so obviously there's a picture painted in the mind of it in a sense of it just being us, but this conversation becomes very important when they realize this 30% increase in a sense is happening throughout the country and they're trying to, in a sense, wrap their minds around what is this increase. I will highlight that what happens is there's these things just in my research that are known as hot spots. Hot spots is where a lot of major crime, particularly these violent crimes, end up being the majority of the crimes of a particular area. So that's just in in the FBI kind of narrowing things down to try to figure out, you know, what can we do in that sense? They now identify hot spots, and the reality is a lot of discord or a lot of things pop up in our mind about us that are really unfair when there's just small percentage of these issues happening and the things that we're talking about today absolutely help all of us, but in particular, those who may live in a dangerous hot spot. So again, I just want to provide some context and show, share that even when I'm sharing these numbers, no one should in their mind should just picture us. So that was part of why I wanted to do that. Um, Dr. Grady, any thoughts on me just kind of adding that context to these numbers? Because quite often in the media, numbers will be presented without the proper context, in my opinion. Your thoughts, King? No, I think that's excellent. I mean, and, and I'm not just saying it because you said that. It is excellent because I think the moment is, and I think you said it right, is that it's in the urban cities, and it's not. I go see clients in the suburbs, and I promise you, about a year and a half ago, I was walking out of a home, and a car drove by, and you heard shots, and not even two minutes later, a young man has three bullet shots in his chest. The problem that I have with it is that the people that were around were not all ecstatic about it or, or hollering and screaming. They were calm, cool, and collected as if it was the norm. But then this is at 3 o'clock in the afternoon mm. in the suburbs, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, kids outside playing. What makes you that angry that your chance of hitting somebody else and that's your target, I'm not glorifying the target, that you cause harm to other people. And, and, and that's the misnomer. It's not just happening in the inner city. It's everywhere. You can't even move to places now and avoid it because it's so blatant. And I think that's the fatality. They don't, they don't tell the truth about it. They only predict it because a lot of these people don't report because they don't want to lose property value. They don't want to lose people moving. And so if they do it to the inner city, it makes it look like it's the norm because it's chaotic. It's people there who don't have any investments. 
it's a real misnomer about the people that live in the inner cities that deal with this violence when it's spread throughout. And so I think the scary thing is that people are acting almost at this now the norm versus, hey, look, we got a real issue. And, we, and nobody can explain what the issue is. So I agree with you. I mean, the numbers play a lot, but I think also the numbers don't really tell where it's really happening. It's not just happening in the city. It's bigger in other outside sources around, especially in Illinois and other places that I visit, Indiana, that the numbers are increasing dramatically. And nobody has an answer. And these youth are going to jail, but then there's no reform. So these are the things that intrigue me because I need to know why or at least have an idea of what is my role in addressing some of these mental health behaviors because it is a mental health issue. Absolutely. Frustration, agitation, anxiety, inability to communicate. We talked about that on the show the other day. So I definitely mm-hmm. want to dive in that component as we talk more, too, because communication and expression is serious. So, yeah, definitely. No, absolutely. Um, again, we're digging in deep. If y'all want to get in, what's the 646-787-1691? Again, that's 646-787-1691. You do have to press 1 to let us know you want to speak. I do see a caller out there. If you're just listening, no problem. Uh, hope you hear this clearly. Sometimes my first-time callers always miss. They have to press one to speak with us. So just keep that in mind. Uh, but just dig it in again, continuing to dig in and even provide even a little more context. 30% increase. So just to throw out, again, just to play around with the numbers, we're not going to live with the numbers. But, again, I just want to give full context so that we really realize, again, this is starting this particular 30% increase is the largest increase prior to this was 12%. So I want to just kind of put those numbers in very significant terms. And I, I'm pretty sure anybody out there listening, you all are aware. I'll say like here in Atlanta, for example, we saw uh, in a sense this level of, for those who are familiar with Atlanta, is one of the few cities that in a sense has two uh, high-rise areas, if you will, not that we have, you know, we don't have the New York City high-rise, you know, whatever, infamous as it is. We have two areas, and one of them, the better areas is known as Buckhead, and so the last couple of years, they've experienced some daytime violence, as you just said, a couple of wrong targets were hit, so obviously um, those are always concerning, but what was concerning was that wasn't something that was typical for that area, and to the point where the politics have played out so that area now wants to annex itself. It's trying to, in a sense, vote to annex itself out of the Atlanta city, if you will. So that's how far this is going when you see this 30% increase. It's starting to hit home in places that it had never hit before, to your point, Dr. Grady. You know, to highlight that, I was on this um, clubhouse the dialogue maybe a year ago, a little less than a year ago, and they were talking about, you know, Buckhead wanting to annex itself or whatever, which is, again, kind of our um, higher income area that wasn't used to this. And so there's just, you know, it hasn't happened, but it's still being dialogued about, if you will. And so um, I remember on that dialogue, the, the concept of race kind of came up, uh, even, you know, even here in Atlanta about, you know, that area wanting to do that. And what came up was there was another area on the outskirts of Atlanta that that basically incorporated itself some years back, and that was a majority black area. And part of their reasoning for wanting to do it was basically to kind of get away from some of the crime that was happening in other parts of the county. And so the question on this clubhouse that got asked was, well, what's the difference in this buckhead where we have, you know, the affluent, if you will, and and, and Atlanta's about a 50-50 black and white city for those who don't know, but you, but you can imagine Buckhead, you know, has more whites living there 
if you will, but it's plenty of black affluent people live there as well, but they just want to say, well, what's the difference in Buckhead wanting to do it versus this other area that I already had done it that was all black? What's the difference? And it was kind of a play on the race card saying, are we going to call it a racial issue when we've seen an all black area do it? And so while they were having that dialogue, I sat back and told them again, I'm a numbers person. And I says, we're trying to, in a sense, make this some type of racial thing when the reality was we just witnessed Atlanta, who has always had issues with inequality. We were always floating around fourth and fifth, but in the last few years, we became number one in economic inequality. And the reason I brought that up, because they were trying to turn something racial, that the reality is crime typically has always followed employment and economics, which makes it not a racial thing. It makes it a human thing when you really understand how crime plays out. But in the context of America, they always want to make it racial. Um, Any thoughts on that? And we'll continue this conversation. I see a couple of callers out there. You do have to press one if you want to get in. Uh, Dr. Gray, we got about a minute before break. So if you can just give me a quick one-minute response, we'll go to break and we've got some more cuts and we'll get off these numbers, if you will, and get more into some of the, you know, your area of expertise and get into the thoughts of this. Um, Out of this cut, I will be sharing some some cuts from from your city about how gang members think because I want to get into exactly what you said, Dr. King, the thoughts, not just the context of what's happening. So if you can give me a you know, quick one-minute response, and then we'll get into the break and the cut, Dr. Grady. Well, you know what, man? I, I think hearing that is something new to me, that, you know, a culture decides to incorporate themselves to hopefully, you know, remove themselves from some of this, you know, chaos. And I, I don't know, man. Like, I, I guess for me, it, it just, again, it's phenomenal that, we have this mental capacity to think that if we dodge it or move away or circle ourselves, it exonerates us from it. The thing is, is if we're not doing it inside, but we're going outside and coming back home, does that change the culture? And I think that's what a lot of people think. Well, we're going to move here. But the kids are leaving there and going to other places and doing, and they're coming home as if everything is normal. So now my question is, what kind of conversation, what kind of dialogue, what kind of monitoring are we doing over our kids? Because what I'm realizing is that kids want to be in this position to have this certain persona that they're looked at because what I'm realizing is kids have a difficult time fitting in. And to add that, we can get into this as we go on, is kids have a a difficult time with self-esteem and being accepted because every kid is not the same at every age, which has always been a thing, but it's even heightened now, especially with social media. So we can get back and talk about that. It'd be great. No, I love it. Yeah, we'll get into all of that. Uh, we're going to go to this cut for the calls. I see y'all jumping out there. Y'all do have to press one to get in. You can ask our experts questions, share your stories. Again, we want to go dig deeper with this. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Just evens out. What 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 set was he from? Do you know? He was from uh, Park Village. Okay. Yeah, Park Village. Do you know specifically who it is? Yeah. yeah. I knew who, what hood they was from. Okay, but you know, but did you know specifically who the kid was? That no, shot you? I didn't. I so to this day, you don't know who it is. No, it don't matter. Don't matter. No. Okay. Why would it matter? Shit, half of the motherfuckers didn't know I shot them. So, hey, fair exchange, no robbery. I mean, we all knew what we was getting into, what we was doing. Yeah. You know, now there was a guy that killed his brother, Buntree, who they all knew. Everyone was friends, and and the dude killed him allegedly, and and so forth. And he had he had to get over that. It took him a lot of years of anger and bitterness. But he was like, when it comes to gang shit, we shoot each other. 
and he's like in his 50s now. He's like, it's, it's whatever. We were all doing it to each other. You chalk it up to the game. I don't care who did it. If I ever found out, it wouldn't, it wouldn't matter. And, and at some point, don't you feel like everyone has to do that? Be like, look, we understand that our relatives and brothers and friends and whatever got killed, but we were all doing it to each other, and we all have to just say, fuck it, if we ever want to get over this, because the cycle is still going. Like, you know, every weekend, 50 people shot in Chicago, seven, seven murders. Fourth of July, 80 people shot. Like, it, it, it's, it's pointless at some yeah. point. And it's new and it's old beast. So it's like yeah. the old stuff and then this new stuff that's happening with the younger generation, the next generation that's coming. But it's like nobody can – I don't never see an end coming to it for the fact that, like, majority of everybody can come together and be like, all right, we done with this shit. We're going to squash it. But it's going to be that one sour apple out the bunch that's going to be like, fuck that. I know my big homie said we squashed it, but I'm going to go over there and kill these niggas while they got their guard down. Yeah. That's what happened with us. I was 15, maybe, when we we lost Devon out here. No, I was probably like 17, 17, 18 years old. I was somewhere around that time, but we we squashed beef with the, our main ops. Like, our big homies, my dad, uncles, all type of shit came together and made us squash the shit. We squashed it, but the next day, they end up killing my homie Devon. The next day? The next day. Wow. And I was there. I held him in his dying last moments. You feel me? Yeah. Like, nigga ran across the street, shot at me first. And then it was just like, it was two separate shooters. So it was just like shit going on. And I'm hearing other shots and not knowing that, you know, I've run around the corner and I see my homie fighting for his life. You know what I'm saying? But in my mind, that's why I'm even standing on 61st and King Drive because that's the midpoint for us. But we just, they just made us squash the beef yesterday. But they already had it set in their mind like, oh, we going to kill Shorty. So we had our guard down and they came and did that. So you know, just imagine how much that happened in Chicago already. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Dr. Tiffany King. This morning's discussion question, young, black, and violent, are you triggered more than ever? Our special guest is Dr. Anthony Gray from Healthy Hearts, Healthy Minds um, Counseling Service. As we hear a cut from Vlad TV. Uh, the particular guest at the end was 600 Breezy. The first guest was Mob James, a couple of gang members, one from L.A., one from Chicago, as we're getting into the mindset. And what I want to challenge for anybody out there listening, and Dr. Gray and Dr. King, I hope y'all can do this with me, and Dr. King, we'll start with you. But the challenge is not just to denounce what we just heard, because it's a matter of getting inside the mindset and 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 dialoguing of, of how we can create less of that, if you will, because even I, as someone who grew up in the rural South, you know, never experienced gang life or anything like that. But outside looking in, um, I can imagine how, um, and 600 Breezy, to give a little more context, he's 31 now and to a degree has moved out of Chicago and hopefully, you know, doesn't become one of the, he's a rapper, if you will, and, and we saw a lot, a lot of rapper deaths or, you know, in this 30% increase, let's just keep it a buck about that. So hopefully um, I pray he doesn't become a victim of any crime, even though he's had beefs in Chicago as well. But I'm highlighting that at 31, you hear him talk about at 17, his friend dies in his arms. So as, as, as a bigger culture, not in one of those hot spots, we could easily dismount and say, we have to do better. You shouldn't do that. That rings 
hollow on a 17-year-old whose friend died in his arms. Dr. King, just again, we're just going to start digging deeper into this conversation. I don't want to do two hours of saying we should stop. We shouldn't do it because it's not that simple. If we care about these kids, we got to dig deeper. Your thoughts, Queen? There's, there's so, so much so much to say. I think that I wanted to go back to um, something you guys uh, brought up earlier um, about the fact that we're, we're seeing this everywhere. I'm, I'm a, a mother who, who, you know, had so many conversations around this and how, you know, we wanted our, our, our young black boys to see something different, to have a different experience, to, you know, um, not have to go to school and be running from bullets. And so we made the decision to move our boys out of Chicago, in fact, uh, a little over four years ago. And, you know, the dynamics that was happening at, you know, at the school that um, our oldest boy went to at the time was just what we described, you know, um, you know, seeing the, the, the consistent level of this heightened um, um, aggression and, and, and fights and et cetera. And so we, we moved across the country and, you know, initially I didn't, I didn't hear the, the amount of sirens that we normally hear in Chicago. Initially I didn't, you know, hear about the same, you know, fights and things, but, you know, as, as we've been here, you know, for, for this amount of time, you know, it's essentially, you know, as we described it, you know, the same dynamics are at play here. And so, um, I don't think that, that there is any place in particular in this country that's immune from, um, you know, what we're having to deal with. And so as a mom, you know, I have to really sit with where my boys' mindsets are. And so I'm asking them questions about, you know, what's happening when, in school? What are the conversations that are happening when, you know, these boys are blowing up and fighting over things that have nothing to do with being in school? And and I'm, 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 I literally, just, just this week, my 10-year-old came home yesterday there was a fight, you know, in, in the bathroom where 17, you know, 10-year-olds are, are, are congregated and, you know, around a kid fighting. And I just for the life of me, I wanted to hear what my 10-year-old's perspective was. You know, how is it that this is happening in, in your school, that you guys are, are fighting about things? And I'm hearing him describe for me, you know, this kid was upset because somebody, you know, hit him and he felt like you know it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't a play hit it was a it was a threat and so he literally you know turned around and punched the kid so at 10 years old we're we're our, our emotions are so heightened that you can't even play anymore so our, our kids emotional um status their psychology is, is that uh, damaged at this point that there's no such thing as as just playing around anymore Everything is taken seriously and has to turn into something physical. Um, what, yeah, could bring, what could bring uh, yeah, what could bring a group of ten year olds to this space to, to where, where the, the level of aggression is there? That the answer is, is violence, is fighting. Right, as an after school teacher, I, I definitely seen some of what you're talking about, and I'll throw this out, and I obviously want to hear what Dr. Grady has to say about this. Um, but like you said, a play hit turns into a major fight. And some of that I'll just throw out again, just as, you know, seven years as an after-school program teacher, mentoring kids, plenty of years before that. What I feel like how a play hit, just again, this is just a one random opinion of how a play hit could turn into such a thing, It's I would offer that it's due to um, – kids not being outside, not being raised to understand the difference between, in a sense, play fighting and getting rough 
and possibly not being familiar with a play hit, you know, to a degree or whatever, because um, I know in our program, you know, we have a keep your hands to yourself rule that we really, really focus on. And in, in, in my pro- our program was kindergarten through sixth grade, if you will. And so it, it really does mm-hmm. do a good job of, if you will, avoiding fights, if you will. However, when they're outside, even as counselors, we understand that some of their games require them putting their hands on each other. And so we always teach our new counselors, even though that's our rule, watch and be, be, you know, discern how they're playing with each other. If you notice one kid being a little rough, just dialogue with that child because we want them to gain, you feel me, that natural, hey, this is how we play, this is how we physically get strong, and especially the boys do it more than, you know, than more than the girls, if you will. But if you've never been in that environment, a play hit, now can trigger that because no one's giving you that discernment. So just a quick thought to what it might could have been. I have, you know, obviously don't know their particular situation. But, Dr. Grady, again, I'm just mm-hmm. touching on some things, and we're going to keep going down this path. But, uh, again, that's just my thought to how I see something that should be nothing turn into a lot more because there's no more training of, you know what I mean, hey, this is part of life. And plus you want to prepare your children for life. We are less preparing them for little situations like that, and now a play hit turns into a full-fledged fight. Go ahead, Dr. Grady. Yeah, I mean, part of the thing, too, is that, and we talked about this on the show a little bit, it's about uh, social media. I told people before that I used to try and um, stay away from blaming social, blaming um, music and videos as the reason for behavior. Social media plays a lot of impact. And I tell people all the time, our kids, see, as parents, we're on a certain realm of seeing what they do. These kids are way deeper into the social media game than we can ever get to. So they're seeing things and being exposed to things a little bit quicker, a little bit faster. And what we're starting to see a lot more is mob action, where these kids can't individually. It's like, oh, cats say they don't want to throw no hands. So they mob up, and then they jump on kids, or they become aggressive as a group. And so now we're seeing this movement, like, what's going on? So going back to the play fighting, one thing I realized was that kids have things going on at home a lot of times. And what we used to do a play fight and talk trash to each other was cool. But then when I come to school the same day to do the same behaviors and you've had a bad run at home and you haven't articulated that and I'm doing my normal behavior, it turns into a situation. And what I'm talking about is communication because I watch people say, hey, explain why y'all got into it. Then when you hear the explanation, you shake your head like, are you fucking serious? Tell me why. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the kids can't tell you why, which is disturbing because you're telling me that, oh, well, he just told me that uh, – he didn't like my outfit. So now you're mad at him because he told you he didn't like his outfit, and so now y'all throwing hands, and now your buddies are getting into it throwing hands. Now it's a whole bunch of people now being involved. Then you add social media because they got phones to take the picture, so now you post the fight and you lose, so now you're in your feelings. I got to get my leg back. These are the things that we're mm-hmm. dealing with because our kids don't know how to communicate. They don't know how to advocate because what they do is they then return to the only thing they know how to do is let me fight back. And now they're being held accountable for their behaviors, and we're still asking them, okay, why did you do that? They can't explain it. Because everything is yeah, off emotion. No, this is major. For the callers that just got in, um, you have to press 1. We'll definitely let you get in on this discussion. If you're just listening via the phone, that's an option as well. Uh, for anybody that wants to get in, 646-787-1691. Again, that's 646 787 You have to press 1. 
to let us know you want to speak. Because you're, you're right, Dr. Grady, like taking, taking, taking your lick, right? You're going to win some, lose some. I, I'm proud to say I won more than I lost, but I will say I wrote, I wrote a piece in my upcoming book about how I learned more from the losses. And so the, for, for this generation, I want people to hear as we're having this dialogue when we're saying what's different for the generation, what we're not doing is just talking down on that generation or about that generation. We're explaining what's different so that you as a parent, you as an aunt, you as an uncle, you as a mentor can give consideration for some of what may have worked for us is going to be very different because as Dr. Grady explained, hey, when I took my loss, you know, the losses that everybody in a sense talked about, I gained and learned from that. I don't know how well I would have taken that loss if it was a recorded loss that now not just my circle can kind of, in a sense, dialogue about, you know, about me with and where I'm from. I'm from the country. So in order to man up, you got to go back and fight again. But again, that was the only result. We go back and have another fight, if you will. So that's kind of how I was raised. But in a culture, had I been exposed on social media, possibly, uh, I, mean, I end up getting a black eye for one of my, a big black eye for one of my losses. I couldn't imagine that being out daily because my black eye, for example, happened in the summer and it happened right before school started. So my black eye, to a degree, had wasn't as swole by the time I went to school, but I still had to go to school with a black eye. So the first day for the kids that are not in my neighborhood, I was in an all black neighborhood, went to a mixed school. So all my friends. I want to say, hey, how'd you get a black eye? So I had to relive, in a sense, telling the story again. But I got a little control of my narrative. You know what I mean? So obviously I took the black eye. I didn't lie or anything. But I got a little control of my narrative. That's very different than a viral video. Dr. King, any thoughts about – oh, I'm sorry. We, I didn't talk myself into the break. Matter of fact, this break is perfect to where we want to go. Dr. King, we'll have you come out of the break. And Dr. Grady, because we're going to play a cut about this social media age after this commercial. So we'll go into the commercial. Again, for the listeners, I see y'all out there. Press one if you want to get in this discussion. All I ask is that you think. Do you need marketing designed specifically to compete in today's digital age? Well, look no further than Edge Digital Business Solutions a marketing agency that's well-equipped to provide solutions to the challenges faced by businesses looking to acquire and retain customers in today's ultra-competitive marketing world. Whether it's video creation, website or logo design, mobile app development, social media and email marketing, or e-commerce design and development, Emoreg Digital Business Solutions has the answer. Visit them at EmoregDBS.com. That's E-M-O-R-E-J-D-B-S dot com or call 864-221-3632. That's 864-221-3632. Emores Digital Business Solutions. We're the solution to your marketing challenges. The other problem to compound it is we're growing up in a Facebook, Instagram world in other words, we're good at putting filters on things. We're good at showing people that life is amazing even though I'm depressed, right? And so everybody sounds tough, and everybody sounds like they got it all figured out. And the reality is there's very little toughness, and most people don't have it figured out. And so when the more senior people say, well, what should we do? They sound like, this is what you got to do. And they have no clue, right? <laughs> 
so you have an entire generation growing up with lower self-esteem than previous generations, right? Through no fault of their own. Through no fault of their own, right? They were dealt a bad hand, right? Now, let's add in technology. We know that engagement with social media and our cell phones releases a chemical called dopamine. That's why when you get a text, it feels good, right? So, you know, we've all had it where you're feeling a little bit down or feeling a little bit lonely, and so you send out 10 texts to 10 friends, you know, hi, 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 hi. Because <laughs> it feels good when you get a response, right? Right? It's why we count the likes. It's why we go back 10 times to see if, and if it's going, if our, my Instagram is growing slower, I would, I, I, did I do something wrong? Do they not like me anymore, right? The, the trauma for young kids to be unfriended, right? Because we know when you get it, you get a hit of dopamine, which feels good. It's why we like it. It's why we keep going back to it. Dopamine is the exact same chemical that makes us feel good when we smoke, when we drink, and when we gamble. In other words, it's highly, highly addictive, right? We have age restrictions on smoking, gambling, and uh, alcohol, and we have no age restrictions on social media and cell phones, which is the equivalent of opening up the liquor cabinet and saying to our teenagers, hey, by the way, this adolescence thing, if it gets you down. <laughs> but that's basically what's happening. That's basically what's happening, right? That's basically what happened. You have an entire generation that has access to an addictive, numbing t chemical called dopamine through social media and cell phones. Welcome back to Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Dr. Tiffany King. This morning's discussion question, young, black, and violent, are youth triggered more than ever? Our special guest is Dr. Anthony Grady as we hear Simon Salmonette break down the brave new world. I always share with parents, we, we actually played that cut on a show we did a few years ago, and I always share with parents that it was no way to anticipate what was going to happen with these phones. We were the generation, if you will, play video games too much. They have a, 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 a small effect, but very low compared to what's intentionally happening on these phones where advertisers understand how to manipulate and keep our attention attached to these phones. It's happening um, not only for our youth, for us as adults, but the difference is our young people are forming their minds. Um, Dr. King, your thoughts as this cut relates to this morning's discussion. Wow, such a, such a, uh, an appropriate, um, I think, you know, segue to, you know, what's happening, I think, mentally, emotionally, socially for our kids. Um, when we talk about um, what we call SEL learning, so social-emotional learning in school, schools now, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, a hot topic because we all recognize that, as the gentleman alluded on this video, that our kids are operating in a, a, a much more jaded sense of reality than we ever did. Because now they're being inundated with so many images, so many messages, um, and as you and, and as, as we've all you know agreed that our brains are still developing at this point. And I think it's it's so much for us to ask seven, five, you know, ten, fourteen year olds to process all of these images and to really put things into perspective when, um, you know, they, they don't even have the capacity, you know, quite yet to, you know, navigate all of the emotions that, you know, come, that, 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 that they have to deal with as a result of, you know, this influx of information and, um, you know, the stimuli, if you will. And so um, getting back to, you know, this, this, this notion of what's, what's developmentally appropriate 
for um, children at different ages, we know that, you know, the recommendations from all of the researchers that screen time is limited, yet it's it's become the babysitter. It's become the, the, the friend. Mm-hmm. It's become what keeps our kids engaged instead of being a supplement to those things. And so um, are, are we too far in to, you know, to, to, to back up against, you know, you know to, to, you know, take back control, if you will, um, when it comes to all of these messages and, and images and, 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 and we, you know, this idea of just even being able to try to process some of it with our kids. Um, you know, I wonder as a parent, you know, how we, how we begin to um, renormalize being bored. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, sometimes uh, we uh, need to be bored and, and have nothing to do. Is, is that, can that be a thing? It should be a thing. It should be a thing. Ba- and, I, and I'm throwing it out based on, because here's the reality. Let's put some of this a little more context, and Dr. Grady will come to you. But let's put even what we're hearing right now in context. Because I doubt any parent listening to what you just said, Dr. King, and disagree that, hey, this is the world we live in. What do we do? Our kids or, you know, to a degree, parents can say, well, dang, maybe that's some of my own doing, right? And then, like you said, the recommendation mm-hmm. is, you know, the recommendation is limited screen time. And unfortunately, if you've allowed your, even your toddler to get addicted to a fast, mm-hmm. maybe you didn't start out doing it, you're like, I don't want to live through this. And the the toddler gets control and you, you give the screen back. And mm-hmm. then for your teenager or whatever, you're like, okay, they're old enough, they're teens, just let them be teens, but their phone is in their hand like it's their hand. Like, you know what I mean? Literally walking down the street, whereas we used to look across mm-hmm. the street, or we walk across the street, we walk across the street and glance at our phone. That just speaks to not just the youth, adults, we're doing, I'm guilty of that. So let me not, I'm not calling people right. out. However, I am pointing out when you say, can we be bored again? And I say that's what we need to do. We have to put it in the context because here's the reality. So while obviously the companies that wanted to make money money off of us hit us with these dopamine looks, if you will, in order to advertise to us, which for them is just about making money, the context was you unfortunately, here's how science works. Until you have a period of time to judge, well, what are the results? It's hard to have So again I'm forgiving parents It was no way for you to know That this was going to be the outcome However when I say it should be What we need you know, where, I'm, where I'm agreeing with you Dr. King is you know, Should we go back to being learning how to be bored I'm saying we absolutely must Now that we have the data To see the very unfortunate Results And youth teenage suicide Is not only up But speaking to our culture Black boys and black girls, unfortunately, have become the face of teenage suicide. We always, as a culture, see suicide as a white issue. But when I go look at the numbers, for the youth in particular, not the adults, still mostly white people with the adults, even though suicide amongst black men is increasing, for the teenagers, black girls are the highest Suicide rates, and I know our culture doesn't know that. Dr. Grady, would you like to speak to just that thought in reference to how social media is playing a huge role in this different development, and we must now make radical thoughts and changes in order to address it, because status quo has got our girls at the top of suicide rates. Your thoughts, King? You know, I think that um, we talk about that, and and I hear you. You know, I think some of it starts with, you know, Again, with this conversation with parents, 
you know, hearing that girls are at the top of the list of suicide because of image, because of perception, because of targeting, because if you don't have the latest gadgets, gadgets, clothes, shoes, now you're not in the in crowd. Girls take that more to heart. Boys take it personal. Girls take it to heart. And so now that, that inability to process that when we were growing up that what you got is good enough, just know that you care about yourself is no longer the thing because, and I, I'm going to do what you said, and I don't want to blame, but parents play a part in this because we buy and we give and there's no accountability. Mm-hmm. And we give and we give and there's no accountability. And we give and we give and there's no accountability. But guess what we do? When kids come to school and they get in trouble, the parents come aggressive too. That's a learned behavior. Mm-hmm. Shit, your kids are watching what you do. If my mama come and beat up the teacher, curse out the teacher, then why the fuck should I listen to you? See, again, we have to train. And so the training went out the window because I don't care if the teacher's right or wrong. Do what the fuck you're supposed to do. And that's the problem. And that's what bothers me is because we want to complain and say what other people are not doing, but we have to take ownership because we are the ones that set the stones that make these kids move. So if they're witnessing it, if they're seeing it, it becomes the norm. But is it really the norm? So I have to say that we have to do and step up a little bit more because it's not going to stop. It's not going to change because there's just going to be some kids that are going to be parts of the system that happen. But when these girls are committing suicide because we're now imaging, because that's the biggest thing now, big ass, big titties, small waist, little clothes, hey, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, the perception is what we're giving. But are we educating them on that's just a perception and getting them to understand that the perception is only what it's going to be if you don't understand the reality of what you need to do? That's the biggest challenge right now. The dialogue has to be had. And so I'm agreeing with you in this sense, Dr. Grady, again, I, in a sense, I'm basically forgiving our generation in a sense that we couldn't anticipate what social media would be. That's the only forgiveness I, I want to give. But yes, having the direct conversation about what is necessary and what we need to do, that is the conversation we have to have. So I'm with you 100% you know, on that. And speaking of, again, the imaging and things of this nature, so here's the reality. If you're not having these dialogue with your children and and, and going up against what they're going to see every day on that phone, especially if you're not going to be the type of parent who controls screen time. If you're not going to do that, then the dialogue has to become understand that the world will often give you money for the wrong type of intention, but it is scarring who you are. And so you're absolutely right when you talk about, in a sense, our girls taking that to heart. And so not only are you seeing these images, big, you know, big breasts, small waist, big ass. Not only are you seeing that, but if you're not having the dialogue with your teenager and OnlyFans and now just being beautiful to that degree makes you a quote-unquote influencer, then naturally you're, not only do your teenagers quite often going to desire it, but they're also going to take on all of the self-worth that we find if you ever go into, for example, the modeling modeling world, models contend with self-esteem more than you would ever realize. And that's pretty common for that, you know, that 1% or less than 1% that could, in a sense, get on the cover of a magazine. At least that's what you had to be at least that beautiful to even compete and be seen that way. Now that's every day just by you uploading a picture. So I'm hoping I'm highlighting the need of parents to have conversations that our parents didn't necessarily have to have with us. Uh, we actually got a caller that wants to jump in. Let's go with the 
Um, caller, I see you out there. I hope you're listening. Uh, we got about 30 seconds before break, so we're going to go to our top of the hour break. And I'm playing another cut. I'm playing cuts from all of these breaks, and we'll come to you out of the break. So 661, last three, 362, we will come to you out of the break. We are at the top of the hour. We'll be right back. But well, all I ask is that you think. This morning's discussion question, young, black, and violent, are youth triggered more than ever? Truth Seekers, please understand, Mental Dialogue is much more than just a talk show. Each and every Saturday, we communicate with you for two reasons, to dialogue and connect. On the dialogue side, we cater to you intellectual outcasts who feel you have no place for honest discourse on race, sex, culture, and African-American business. On the connect side, we've created a community where you can connect with experts specifically in finance, whether personal or business, and mental health, whether it's trauma or to optimize performance along with all the other skill sets from other MD community members. Our mission was to create a virtual nationwide neighborhood where African-Americans learn to trade ideas, goods, and services through social media, meetups, and this podcast. To become a neighbor of the Mental Dialogue Community Club, please visit us at mentaldialogue.com. We are better with you than we are without you. We can be neighbors even though we don't live next to each other. Hashtag raise the culture. A fight. Right. Like, I, me personally, that's why I be telling niggas, like, we can box. Because I've been, that's what I was known for before anything. So I'm cool with that. But people don't know how to take losses. Like, they, they, they pride. Like, as a man, they pride be hurt. Especially you get beat up in front of your bitch or your mama or your kids or anything like that. They pride be hurt. So the first thing you're going to do is, oh, I'm going to kill this nigga. And you can't really take that out their mind because they, they hurt. Like, damn, I lost a fist fight as a grown man to another man. Or this nigga done slapped me or he did this and slammed me on my neck in front of my girl. Now she looking at me crack. He like, I got, I got to kill him. Like, that's just people's yeah. mindset. No, but listen, I, yeah. I remember I lost a fight in high school. I, and, uh, I lost my first fight. Yeah, you know, I lost a fight right. in high school. And uh, I found out the dude committed suicide, so, you know, years and years later. And I remember I was like thinking one day I'm still mad at this dude. I'm like, wait, what? I got to check myself. I'm like, the dude's dead. Yeah, because when you nah, you, when you heard he was dead, you was like, ah, bitch ass nigga. Like, but but then I'm like, but he, I can't, I can't keep this anger going still because he's he's dead. Like, yeah. you know, I had to check myself, be like, yo, like snap out of it. Like, yeah. you're an idiot. You know what I mean? I'm like, stop it. He's dead. Cut it out. But that was the the better version of you the talking version to. Of yeah, I had to mature. The, exactly. I had to mature. I was about to by that. Like time. no matter how you go, get, you always gotta fight. Your you mature level your, with your, your immature self. They gonna always bump. Yeah, I mean, you know, Twenty One Savage recently, you know, did a tweet about telling Atlanta to put put their guns down, and people like and spin the block twice. Like I got no place to park. He's like, no man, that ain't got nothing to do with it. But it's like, yeah, man, you got so many lyrics of shooting people. Like you got so many lyrics, and you got a history of you know gunplay and shit like that. Yeah. Once again. You know, right message, wrong messenger. It's it's one of those things where it's like, you know, especially since the lyrics are still reflecting that to this day. Yeah. And it's like, he's like, oh, well, that's just entertainment. But it's like, it is and it isn't. Because people are, it's affecting people. But it's just like video games. You feel me? Like, no, it's not. No, like, no, 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 no. It's like, not. Now it's look not. At video look- games aren't based on people's actual lives and reality. It's a video game. It's a movie. No. So there's a script. But... but- but so that the script that, is written so, by someone so, else. So that means that you saying all rappers are telling the truth, which is not true. They it cap is. majority You're of right. them cap. 
some a lot of rappers rapping about killing and drug dealing or whatever. They ain't never sold a bag and they ain't never heard a gunshot go off in their ear to make their ear ring. You feel me? Like so, right? But but Gucci and Twenty One Savage are not one of those two. Yeah, yeah you see yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, like I mean, these guys are actually, you know, they come have from a history of this type yeah. of thing. They're not, you know, studio gangsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've interviewed I've interviewed Twenty One Savage, and you know we have interviews with Gucci. Like he has a history of this type of thing. So saying that, unless you totally, you know, unless you've totally turned the page and said, "Listen, I'm not going to talk about this. I'm just going to talk about conscious lyrics and stuff like that." I've learned there are my ways. But you know, man, listen, shit like that fires people up. I mean, it's a soundtrack to people's lives. Like I remember I interviewed No Malice from the Clips, mm-hmm. and he was like. He turned born again Christian. He and he started. And he's like, yo, how many, how many people have had their head blown off listening to the clips? Mm-hmm. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host Montoya Smith, aka Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Dr. Tiffany King. This morning's discussion question: Young, black, and violent. Are you triggered more? Than ever, our special guest is Dr. Anthony Grady. So we hear another cut from Vlad TV at 600 Breezy. I wanted to get into the concept of drill music, which is very popularized out of Chicago. But let's go to the caller, and we'll have that conversation. Uh, area code 661-LAST-3362. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents or question on this morning's discussion question. Okay. Hi, everybody. My name is Ty. I'm calling from California. And I, I guess, kind of had more so like some questions in regards to what did the panelists think were some strategies um, for okay. um, social media. And so I was asking that because I, I, um, I love where the conversation is going because I wrote it down when we were talking about violence, and then when we got on to the, um, to the young African American girls with suicide and how it's increasing. I'm like, okay, I have questions about that too. But so, so just sticking to like to the violence part, you guys mentioned uh, dopamine. And so I know even as um, uh, as an adult, I do dopamine fasting really off of anything that is just too much for me. Um, so it was like social media and even YouTube. And I was thinking, okay, well, what do you guys think about this idea? If we, if maybe if there are parents out there who do want to start looking into stuff like dopamine fasting, so kind of having their, you know, you know, you know their child's, um, come off a, a social media for a period of time, you could take them off, but then start building a new association through family game night or some other activity to kind of subside. And so then the dopamine for the withdrawal for, let's say, social media may not be the same. But then I was thinking, I don't know if that would be, I know that doesn't work for everybody because of their schedules, but if there's other strategies that we can think of of how parents can be supported and how they can work on this delivery to their own kids. Because for me, when I think of social media, I see it as a marketing tool and you're either selling a product or you're selling your time and doesn't make sense basically. But I just wanted to ask that question and then summarize what I thought. I love the question and we'll get to your second question as well. (laughs) Um, Dr. King, I'm going to start with you actually, if you don't mind, Queen, your thoughts, just any suggestions. I love this question. Absolutely, I do too. Um, in fact, I, I, it resonated with me so greatly because this is something that we've been conscious about in our home. Um, and teenagers will tell you they they love the break from the inundation of this stimulation on social media. We have two teenage boys in our home, 
And I randomly on weekends, I will tell them, everybody give me the phone. We're not doing the phones this weekend. And whoever is over, their friends, their teammates, the same rule applies to all of them. And what I'll see is a, is a tremendous difference in their demeanors. They're able to just be kids, be teenagers. They're in the backyard playing basketball. They're swimming. They're, you know, they're, they're engaging with one another. They're playing games. They pull out the Uno cards. They pull out the, you know, Monopoly. And so when, when, we, when, we, when we give them the option of um, <clears throat> taking a break from it, as you said, dopamine fasting, um, they even have the capacity to realize that they're a different kid. And my 15-year-old has said it to me, you know, thank you, Mom. I realize I might complain in those moments, but when I think about how I feel, I'm not, I'm not stressed about who's texting me. I'm not stressed about, you know, what's happening in the, the group chat. I'm just enjoying the moment. And so I think doing small things like that, even if it is just a weekend or if, or if it's, you know, deciding that, you know, we're going to have <clears throat> Wednesday, you know, Wednesday night is game night, you know, you know, we're turning off all all forms of media and screen time, and we're just going to engage with one another. I mean, there's power in reconnecting, and, re- and essentially, we're we're beginning to rewire our brains. It's a, you know, some some people will call it you know reconditioning or classical conditioning, but you're essentially, you know, you're replacing that with some of the things that you know. We I said, can we get back to being bored? You know, you know earlier. So I think that it's wonderful to hear that um, other people are, you know, have simple things like that in mind. You know, let's just find other things to do when we, when, when, that, to replace that screen time. And there's plenty, you know, each other. The each other part is the part that matters. I think that speaks to the communication that Dr. Grady loves to talk about. And I'll just highlight this real quickly and then get Dr. Grady's thoughts on it. But I remember some years ago we had a, um, a, a, a like a, it was a 70th birthday party for our last remaining uh, um elder in our you know in our family and I remember begging um getting just an after school teacher, no children on my own, but begging the rest of my family to get two or three dinner nights with no phones. And even they were looking at me kind of with the side eye, like, my teenager would be so upset. And I was like, no, you got to do it. Like, you got to do it. And I was already starting to re- see some of this research that I share even on this broadcast at the time. So it made me in, say, in, you know, let them know, let's start those things. Dr. Grady, your thoughts um, to this question. I know uh, Ty has something else as well, so we'll go ahead and get to her second question after you give an answer. Uh, I agree. I think what she said was, was powerful about having game nights. See, I play both sides, so it's not just, yeah, I support that, but the question is, are parents strong enough to make their kids interact? See, that's what we're facing. A lot of parents are scared to take the phones or the video games. They are scared to engage their kids because they don't want the conflict. See, that's the thing that I'm realizing, is that parents don't want conflict. And so that's the scary thing. So I think that we have to get kids engaged back in activities, whether it's sports, whether it's just social gatherings with families, just getting them engaged because what we do is we let them go in their room, they do what they do, we get on them a little bit, and then we move around. So once we shut down one social media outlet, these kids are 10 steps ahead of us. They've already got three pages created. So you got their main page, but they have other pages. And so my thing is I tell parents all the time is think about it, though, this day and age. If I take my kid's phone, there's 20 other phones in here that we can use. I can't regulate those kids' phones. So now the question is, what is my bigger challenge? The bigger challenge is being consistent. Because we'll start a game night or we'll start a family activity. It'll mm-hmm. go on for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, and then it gets mm-hmm. torn to the wayside because nobody mm-hmm. wants to be engaged because the parents are fucking bored. The parents get tired of it. So, again, mm-hmm. we are, are too busy where with that, that intimacy where kids are part of the priority that has kind of gotten lost because we're trying to survive a lot of times. For me, 
I told my daughters, when we sit at the dinner table, we go out to eat, ain't nobody using their phone. So then I got to work or call. Somebody got an issue, and they look at me like, Dad, uh, you just said no phone. And they really want to say, Dad, you're a fucking hypocrite. And so I have to be mindful for that because I've engaged in that rule to say, look, mm-hmm. no, no phones at the table because everybody's social media. And I think what's intriguing is I went, I went to a restaurant one time, and I saw a team of softball girls, um, middle, like 13, 14, 15. Everybody had their phone out, and they were texting and sitting next to each other. Think about that. They're all sitting mm-hmm. at the same table, and they're texting, sitting next to each other. Because mm-hmm. we don't know how to communicate. And then our parents don't know how to communicate because everything we see sometimes is that we want to criticize. Because the question, again, is always going to be that, that big topic is what are the conversation and dialogues like? And the one thing that I say is that kids have power because even if you discipline your child, you're then being held accountable for discipline. But then if you don't discipline, you're being held accountable for their behavior. So now uh-huh. we're in the middle area for a parent. Because see here, child welfare is kids are economic base. So guess what I do? If I live in an impoverished community where my income is based on my kids bringing in income, so we talk about Social Security, mental health, some type of behavioral, some type of trust fund, some type of their financial gain, if you threaten to take my kid out of my home, what do, they, what do you think I'm going to do? I'm not going to do much or nothing but regulate the best way I can because when mm-hmm. they try to get at their kids. But we can't control no. social media like we can't control guns because they're easily accessible. I realize that with music. I try to tell my daughter, well, don't listen to this song, don't listen to that in the car. But tell me what they're saying. And when she was able to tell me, I was impressed, my youngest one. But I realized that even if I stop them from listening with me, they're going to go to school or go somewhere else, and everybody's not going to have the same mental behavior. Like Tiffany said, when you have my house, y'all all got the same rules because our mom to everybody. We don't have that same mentality because when kids see other kids doing certain things, that becomes the norm. We've got to change what the norm is and get back to basic square roots. What that is, is different for everybody. So whatever technique works for you, you have to find out the best technique that works. But I think having game night, getting your kids in the athletic activity, keeping them busy uh-huh. and supporting them. Don't tell your kids to play football and your ass at the mall or fucking off doing something else while the coach is babysitting your kids. But when your kids get hurt or the coach yells at them, you want to jump all in the coach's ass. Hey, there's a, there's a balance there. So there's a lot of imbalances that we got to figure out because society has shifted so much. And this ain't COVID thing. These behaviors before COVID. COVID just enhanced it because now they had nowhere to do with that displaced anger or frustration. Now mm. I see you. I'm outside in the world. Now I match it. Because the video said one thing that was critical. Harvard anger. These kids hold on to anger for days, for weeks, for mm-hmm. months. My cousin's a cop. Cousin was a cop we were talking about a year ago. Guy gets out of jail, not even out two days, and goes and shoot a guy in the face. He's been in jail for damn near two years, three years. He's that fucking mad that he gets out, not even left mm-hmm. to stand on ground, shoots a guy in the face and goes right back to jail. How do we harbor that much anger for that long? Man, yeah, that's listen, crazy. I've been I, I there. A guy sucker punched yeah. me, man. A guy sucker punched yeah. me about 10, 12 years ago, bro. And sometimes when I go past that park, I'm thinking, where that motherfucker at? Because guess what? <laughs> I'm not angry anymore, but just the trauma of thinking about right. what happened in that place made me feel a certain type of way. Right. Exactly. So we yeah, got to figure out how to do some things different. We got to. Yeah, I'm going to go to another break. Um, Ty, we'll keep you on after this break for your second question. Um, but I just I just recently heard some um, guy, young rapper, lost his life the day he got out of jail. Like, that's, like, they didn't even, like, the from the precinct, like, they didn't let him get away from the precinct. They lit him up with a bunch of bullets right outside the precinct. Like, the anger is to that degree, whereas before... You don't want to do it at the cops precinct. You don't want to get caught. 
they didn't even care. I don't know if they caught the people or anything at this point, but the fact that they did it right outside the precinct the day out speaks to what you're all are talking about. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Hey, Smithoff, where you find that Prince sign of the times on vinyl at? Real talk, you got a dope vinyl collection. What, you been collecting them, like, over the years or something? No, actually, I just started my collection. But my man Tobago over at DBS Sounds, he be hooking me up. You remember DBS Sounds? On the south side? They still around? I figured most of the record stores in Atlanta be closed by now. Hey, vinyl is the new wave, and DBS Sounds got the best collection in town. You can still go there and flip through vinyl. They still got CDs and mixtapes, too. Let me check their IG page at DBS Sounds ATL. They still be having artists in stores and everything. Hey, you want to run by there? Hey, man, I ain't got time right now. I got to go back to Cali tomorrow, but I might have to catch them next time. Oh, nah, you good. Even when you get home, you can just shop at their online store at dbssounds.com. They'll ship directly to you anywhere in the country. Matter of fact, jump on dbssounds.com on your phone and order straight from there. Word? Hey, I'm about to get my music game up. Hey, what's their address? In case I get a chance to swing by there, I'm, I'm going to pick up that new Kendrick Lamar CD. Oh, they at 6604 Highway 85, Riverdale, Georgia. Bet. A woman has to be tilted towards mercy. That's how it looks to me. Right. And especially during, it's so important during the, especially the first year when children are so unbelievably vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's very difficult for women to be merciful like that and to make the shift to encouraging disciplinarian. I think that's a very difficult thing for people to do simultaneously. Although, you know, people, people I'm not saying that women are always only merciful and men are always only encouraging disciplinarians, but things do sort themselves out to some degree like that. And I think also the biochemical transformations that accompany pregnancy and childbirth and, and lactation also tilt a mother towards that as well. Right. She has to really love that little thing, right? It's, it's number one, no matter what it demands. And, and then telling it what to do and making sure it's behaving properly, that's, that's a whole different issue. Now, but the kids who lack fathers, I mean, first of all, they can find that to some degree in their friends. Okay. And that's often what fatherless boys do in particular. They, they, they go into gangs. Mm-hmm. And they generate the missing man masculinity in the gang. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not so good because, like, what the hell do they know? Yeah. They, well, they don't know anything, right? Mm-hmm. They're just stupid kids, and they're, like, 15 years old, and their testosterone is pumping, and they're trying to get the hell away from their mother, which is what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And, and they're not in the right position to exercise any authority over themselves. So mm-hmm. that's, that's not good. They can find it in education. They can find it in books. They can find it in movies. They can find it in sports heroes and so forth because... The image of the father is fragmented and distributed among the community. But it's very, very difficult to not have a father. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Tiffany King. This morning's discussion question, young, black, and violent, are youth triggered more than ever? Special guest, Dr. Anthony Grady, as we hear a cut from Jordan Peterson breaking down the lack of fatherhood and we know that that's a constant issue within our community so i i go there to offer some of the solution that quite often doesn't get posed when we're having a specific conversation is the broader context of how to solve some of it and it becomes imperative that we understanding returning to a structured family culture becomes a more imperative conversation because 
in my opinion, we can only put band-aids if you're missing the foundation, as I felt like was alluded to by Peterson in that cut, saying, hey, to a degree, it's not that a mother can't play both roles, if you will. It's kind of how I heard that cut. But in the but in a sense, it kind of falls out. The roles kind of fall out naturally. And I could play other cuts where he says, even when you have both, like a, like our guest, Dr. Tiffany King and her husband, we bring them on all the time, and they explain their difficulties as a husband and wife team of trying to, in a sense, give their, their children that foundation. But he is absolutely right without it, that father, if you will, and he talks about without a mother is even worse, right? But without a father, if that is the situation, how we as boys socialize, and I am a product of that. I always highlight that when I read Monster Cody's book, uh, Monster, uh, famous L.A. Crip, Crip member, famous because of the book, if you will. I think it written while in prison or whatever. He's passed away now, R.I.P. Uh, but I remember years ago when I first read that book, super fascinated, growing up in a small country town, two stoplights. And I remember, the, i never forget the part in the book where he says he had a sixth grade graduation. And so he had to wear a little cap and gown. And that night, his mom was all proud of him of graduating in sixth grade. And as soon as he get home, he couldn't wait to get out of the cap and gown, sneak out the window so they could go on his first drive-by to be initiated in the Crips. And I remember reading that saying, wow, in my little country town, my version of manhood, growing up with just my mother, if you will, was playing football. And eventually the football game would turn into just throw the ball up and run up the middle and being the little kid and having to run up the middle with middle schoolers and high schoolers. And you're the little kid. That's how we got tough in my neighborhood. And I realized reading his book that had my manhood been getting a sawed off shotgun, which I've never shot, which was the case of his first drive by throwing in his hand and saying, Hey, shoot at these cats. I realized it was the equivalent of me receiving a football, being afraid and getting tough to run up the middle amongst those middle schoolers and high schoolers. That was my version, and I realized there was no difference. I was just fortunate to grow up in a two-stop-light town. I think that is necessary to explore the results of what can't, what is inevitable when we don't have our family structures. Um, Dr. Grady, I'll start with you. Um, Dr. King, and then we'll get back to the caller, Ty, as well. I know she has a second question. Yeah, you know question. what? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, brother. No, you're, I just want to let Ty know we're going to still get to our question, but I don't want to let this clip go, you know, unaddressed. Go ahead, Dr. DeGrady. I, I, so I tell people all the time, man, I, I, I'm unorthodox. I, I agree with things and I disagree. The problem that I, I, I agree with is that I think absent parents, point blank, mother or father, play a big role because you get nutrients from both of them. You know, mm-hmm. and young men without their fathers definitely struggle because if they don't have that, that guidance, it doesn't help, or, or some male or a positive female that can give them the tools. The problem is that even if you've got parents that are active and they're dysfunctional, the kid is still at the same loss. So my question is, how do we strengthen families to be more structured to get better tools? And so these kids are now, for example, these kids are not wanting to go to graduation. Parents are supporting that. Supporting that dressing up and making them feel accountable and appreciated. We have let a lot of things go to the wayside. And one thing that, and, and this is so petty, but I have to talk about it, is grooming. And I use, and I, t- I self-deflect. Tiffany knows I talk about my life a lot because I have no shame in it because I think it's made me who I am. I remember my mom was dating a guy. My dad and mom been divorced 
uh, since I was eight. My mom dated a guy, and he was a little aggressive. And so I would tell my dad, and he was like, he told my mom, hey, I'll deal with him. But the thing that this man taught me as I got older was he taught me how my parents plays a big part, how to line my buttons with my zipper, how my bell buckle should be aligned, how I should be neat when I step out. And I carry myself to that way. If you follow me on Facebook, you'll see that I'm a fashion guy because of that tutor. So I got something out of it, even though the, the behaviors were aggressive. The, the tutors that I got of it as I got older started understanding was very pr- prominent to who I am. Think that we don't have that same image because guess what? If your dad is with you and his parents are sagging and your parents are sagging, who the hell do you listen to? Because guess what? If I tell you as a coach or as a mentor or as a teacher, pull your parents up, the first thing you'll say is, fuck you, my dad do it. If your mom is alone, you go out and poke. Because I remember my grandma used to tell pull my parents up. I have no ass. They are up. And so now women allow that happening as well where you see that there's no form of discipline or accountability in keeping structural, simple, basic tools in play. We've lost that. So we can talk about social media. We could talk about upbringing. We could talk about community. The one thing I realized about community was that everybody had a role. People are taking their hands off. So the kid that used to cut up could get caught and be held accountable because somebody was telling. Now it's a blind eye. Hell, you got a ring camera. You saw everything, but you don't want them to see a ring camera because you don't be part of whatever's going on. Those are the things that now we're seeing as the trend because a lot of things are more accepted. So, again, I do agree that absent parents, point blank, period, mom or dad play a big part in kids' dynamics. But even if you have two parents involved and they're dysfunctional, that kid is no better than they were having two parents in the home versus having one or the other out or not having them at all. And, again, we also got to understand, too, the big thing and the big catalyst is uh, social service. Kids are now coming into social care more easily now, whether it's through delinquency. Because here in Illinois, they have a dual bill. I sat on that table when I was with the state. Where there's a dual bill where kids can come into the system now through criminal behavior as a delinquency action. So now what are we saying? I could take you now because of your behavior. You don't have to be a kid that's being abused because your actions can pull you into another position out of the home. And the sad thing about it is these parents agree. I can't handle them. I can't handle her. They're not listening to me. But guess what the funny thing about it is? Dr. Grady will go in your home and demand a certain level of respect because I'm telling you, you can't talk to me like that. And the kids are, yes, sir, no, sir, okay, Dr. Grady. It makes me feel a certain type of way that your kids respect me more than they respect you. Now, how am I supposed to look at you as a parent and be like, hey, look, we need to do this and this, when you can't tell them to stop talking on the phone, but I can. I took a girl's phone. Disrespectful is all I'll do it. My grandma, like, she ain't going to give it to me. She ain't give it to me. I took the phone. The girl was so humble. Hey, you had to call me by 5 o'clock so we could discuss this. She called me by 5, but the mom and grandma were so adamant by me giving her her phone back so they don't have to deal with her actions or her behavior. Parenting is a lost art now. And parents have to find a way to regain their authority. Policing is a lost art because they have no authority because if they do something that remotely resembles any type of aggression, they're now being disciplined. But a kid can jump out and shoot at you, run at you with a car, steal a car, avoid you. And what we're doing now is putting them on home confinement. Or we're telling them that, hey, the officer did this, and we're letting you go. So we have a bunch of things going on in society that are not upside down that used to right. be let me, let me jump in, if you don't mind. that let are not normal. In. Let me jump in. Yeah, let me jump in Please. for a quick second here. And I want to throw out this because I always hear people go where you went with, again, I just brought up the – and I wasn't just wanting to focus on, on – well, let me say this. I, want to, I always like to highlight this one thing because people jump on this. I think people get stuck here, so I'm going to – I appreciate where your challenge. I want to add another challenge to even what you said. So, 
as as Jordan Peterson pointed out, for example, you know, the difficulty of having an absent father, if you will, and then you brought out, which people always do, go to, well, it doesn't matter if you have two dysfunctional, two parents as well. And the thing is, people stop there. So I want to go one step further with that thought. So what happens is, even when we're pointing out the difficulty of a missing parent, it's always understood that you can have two parents there and it may not work as well. But people jump to that example as if there isn't a huge difference in how well children turn out in two-parent homes versus one-parent homes in aggregate. In aggregate, that's the key word here. There are absolutely terrible two-parent homes. So it, we we it's not we always do the dialogue in an apple to oranges comparison and versus an apple to apple comparison. So when we highlight the issues with how difficult it is for two parents like a Dr. King and her husband to pull it off, so it's difficult for them to pull it off. So it really should highlight how much more difficult it is just for one to do it. Even though my mother was excellent again. My running up the middle in my town in football was simple and did not have deadly consequences. But as a sixth grader, listening to what the young men on my street told me manhood was, which in my town was skating down a steep street and seeing if you could stay up versus come up pink. That's how it was in the country. But I realized that in L.A., I would have been trying to get initiated as wonderful as my mother was at that age in finding myself I was learning it from young men like Peterson talked about so I'm just really highlighting you know that jumping to the fact that they're a dysfunctional two-parent home doesn't really in a sense in my mind bring the brevity to understanding the need to return has to be a bigger dialogue because it is the remedy to getting parenting not being a lost skill. It's a lost skill now because a lot of us learn from one energy only. One energy can't teach us the other half that we need to learn. I'm not shocked that it's a lost art. But the foundation is both people figuring out how to be there in my thoughts. Dr. King, do you understand why I wanted to address that Um as part of this conversation? Oh, absolutely. I think that um, as a, a black woman who grew up in a, in a broken home, who grew up uh, around dysfunction, and, and uh, my, my husband did as well, we both, you know, experienced what what it was like to um, have dysfunction in our homes from, you know, the part of our parents. Even though my mother, you know, did the best that she could as a single parent, you know, I, I had a father who was addicted to crack, even though, my, you know, my, my uh my husband, you know, his, 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 you know, situation was pretty, pretty similar. He had both parents addicted to, you know, crack cocaine. And so when you, when you know what it's like to deal with both sides of dysfunction, meaning we hit, we, we knew what, what, what parenting was like for our parents and what, and what the deficits meant for us. We knew what it felt like to long for the relationship with those parents and then to grow up and have an opportunity to do it differently. And so we, we, we operate from this space of, you know, our parents weren't perfect. But they, they did the best that they could, and so we we take from them, you know, we've, we've learned from them both from the, the good parts of their parenting but also from the bad parts of their parenting and have tried to, 
um, you know, to, to mirror those things that we that we learned that we appreciate from from what we grew up with, but also to do to consciously do things different that we know, you know, didn't work for for us as, as, as kids growing up. And so I think that it's, it is, you know, it is critical for us to to truly wrap our heads around the fact that it's okay to have two parent households and to make conscious decisions to parent in a way that 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 is totally different from what we may have experienced. Um, doesn't mean that you know, as, as you as you said, things are gonna you know you aren't gonna have challenges with our kids. People are gonna be who they are. Our personalities are gonna be what, what they are, and so none of us are gonna be immune from challenges or from you know the, the realities of this life. Life is as, as, as I say, life is still gonna life life be life, in and so you still may mm-hmm. have issues and, and and challenges with your kids. It doesn't mean that we still don't strive to still you know parent in ways that that um, that promote, you know, um, healthy living and that promote healthy coping and things like that. And so uh, I appreciate you saying that. I appreciate us um, still choosing to strive for um, a, a, a wholeness in, in terms of our families. That's okay. You know, and I, I, don't, I, won't, I won't make any regrets or, or about that at all because the truth of the matter is we get to choose. You know, when, when you've grown up and you, you've lived through your life, you get to choose what you want um, to, to structure, what you want your household to look like, what you want your children's upbringing to look like. And that can be, you know, you know, uh, you know many things. So I think challenging us to um, embrace, you know, some of those, the, the old school notions of, of, of parents all at the same time, choosing to, you know, think outside the box and, you know, be um, criti- be critical thinkers and question some of the things that, that you know, we, we, we think, you know, may not be so healthy. And so I just, I, I think it's uh, it, it's the right place, place for us to be right now in terms of um, pursuing parenting constantly, if you will. Yeah, just, I just, uh, Dr. Great, I'm going to go back, back to you because, again, I, you know, you challenged me and I'm challenging you, so I want to give you a chance to respond. And it's almost mm-hmm. like, the example you gave, Dr. Grady, would you say, hey, with that one brother that was aggressive but taught you how to dress, All I'm, I guess all I'm really saying is um, I, I'd rather people, in a sense, take a chance that two people can accidentally get it right over what that looks like mm-hmm. for one person to accidentally get it right, if that makes sense. There's, mm-hmm. and, and, and hopefully both can correct what's the error with the other because that's the natural balance, right? Like even when you hear Peterson lay oh, it out. You know, when Peterson lays out the, you know, the mercy, mercy part that the mother typically falls in and the father's the encouraged discipline or whatever that he naturally falls in. Uh, I definitely have examples as a, a, a after school, you know, where where sometimes it is, you know, the single fathers or whatever. There's certain things he he's probably going to go too hard on. So I'm just kind of throwing out that I, I, I just I'm really big into people recognizing that some of the things we're talking about. Can, are quite recoverable if you are intentional about how our youth get here. If you think about the 600 Breezy, the things that we heard in those cuts from him, those are things he's had to figure out and got to 31, luckily, in a very dangerous city on his own. And he talked about the immature versus the mature. None of that goes away even if you, in a sense, have two parents. But the advantage of having two people pour into you, they might accidentally get it right. Do you understand kind of where I want to, why I'm doing this, Dr. Grady, just to highlight, because I think this part gets left out when we compare, hey, here's the single parents thing, and then two two parents, two could still mess it up. I just didn't, I never liked for it to be left there. Your thoughts, King? I get you, brother, and I, and, and I hear what you're saying. And let me say this. I, I don't think that 
parenting can't happen in levels of dysfunction. Now, I think Tiffany said it best is that you have to make choices at a certain point on what you want your life to look like. But my reality is that when I look at, I look at me, for example, my mom and dad separated. My dad was still involved. My mom was involved. But I realized that a lot of things that I had to learn was on my own. Like my grandmother didn't come to my high school between freshman year and senior year, so for the register me and to graduate. I had to make better choices. So I was raising myself, and I was fortunate that I was involved in activities, something that I think my parents put into me. But see, what I'm saying is, is that even with that level of separation, they both are still invested. The problem is that the investment level a lot of times, and it's not with all, but a large majority of the investment level has, dis, 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 has lowered. Because if mm-hmm. your kids are causing you, I say, grief because of their behavior, parents are not taking a hand off the look. So let me say it like this. Parents are taking a fucking break from parenting because they can't control their kids. So now <laughs> my question is, okay, you got two parents in the home, but if they both can't control the kid because I got more kids disrespecting dads who are more meek in behavior, and because moms protect, they take their hand off the wheel like, man, shit, I ain't going to do nothing until you don't want me to get out of them. So now the kid is playing both sides of the fence. And so now you have two parents in the home, and the kid is still at a high level of I don't think I'm saying to you, Dr. Grady, I don't think I'm saying to you, I don't think I'm saying to you is, in my experience, it happens less. What you're talking about happens less when the father is there. You're absolutely right that a meek father that don't know how to handle his business, that can happen. I'm just saying it happens less when the father's there. That's the only thing I'm saying. I know that, well, let me say that what you're saying. Let me is say right. this. I, I agree with you, but depending on, 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 the, on the area you live in. So, so let's say I, I do my practice in Indiana. I have more dads in the home in Indiana, and the kids are in and out of delinquency more. Same thing here. I got kids who dads live in the same neighborhood, and they walk past each like they don't know each other. And so my thing is I live in the ghetto. I still live in the hood. I still live on the block. So what I see more so is even though I'm an educated guy, I still live in a community where there's a high level of dysfunction. And so don't get me wrong. I have a bunch of great dads. I got buddies that sell drugs or used to or were in the streets with high-level gangbangers, and I have a buddy who actually watched his daughter die in his arms who was in the streets big time. Don't get me wrong. I got guys who are great dads. But what I see is a large majority of these dads that are in the home that don't aren't centered around other guys that are saying, hey, look, man, what's up with your son or your daughter? Like, we get out of our kids. So if I see my buddy's son or daughter doing something, I'm at them. And guess what they say? What's your uncle say? But this so, 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 what you're saying now, I don't think differs at all in what I'm saying, because I think I hear you saying, okay. which is normal, that you're going to see more of what you're talking about now when there are more fathers involved, what you're, what you're talking about. But I do get that there's plenty, there are going to be two-parent homes where that doesn't happen. I'm just saying the chances of what you're talking about now happen, happens when there are family structures. What you're saying happens where y'all mm-hmm. are checking each other, that, that rarely happens in a lot of our communities where you can't trust another adult because there isn't two parents that you trust. I talk about this example all the time, that even in apartments, if you will, I get how a, 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 a single parent may trust one other single parent, and they, they'll trade off babysitting or whatever, but they won't extend that to the rest of the neighborhood when we have communities like what you're talking about now. Y'all may not live near each other, but just a husband and wife affords that trust that's very different. If you have a choice of who's going to babysit without knowing a lot, you're going to afford it to the family because there's a mother and father to check. There's more time to pay attention to the child. You're not going to trust one parent with that. So I'm just kind of just pointing out that I know that dysfunction happens mm-hmm. with both. But in aggregate, 
the example you just gave me happens more when there are families intact. I'm just I'm very intentional about that because I don't like to be dismissive mm-hmm. as if I'm saying two parents don't have the type of dysfunction you're talking about, but that's never going to be the majority of the numbers. No, I, and I, I'm not saying yeah. that because, like I said, again, the numbers are, are very different a lot of times depending on where you are. So the numbers to me, and I tell people numbers. So from a guy who did research, what was the state research? Sometimes the numbers to me get skewed because it depends on who's taking the data. And, that, and that's not, They're not even close, though, Dr. Grady. To... Dr. Grady, I'm going to be above okay. with you. They're not even close, though. When okay. you, what, I, what I mean with close, okay. I'll just use one example, for example. So when the numbers say this is you know, nine times higher to go to, to jail, right, you're right. It might be eight or seven or six. The numbers are not skewed to the point where it's – you see what I'm saying? Like, we're, like we're, we're not – like if they were close, what you're saying is making sense. Uh-huh. The aggregate numbers are never close. I look at these numbers all the time. Okay. They're never close. So even if they're taken okay. incorrect and, – and, and the reason I'm challenging you is because a lot of times I hear people say that in our culture, and, and, I, and because I'm a numbers person – and, again, the numbers don't tell the story. I already started the show saying that. But I, and I'm being very intentional right. because of the dialogue I want people to hear. I'm not even challenging you personally, but I need people to hear I want you to the dialogue know. I want that you, you and I are like, having. You got to do that. Yep, so here we it is. So what I, I think can, 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 Yeah, jump in, Dr. Can King. I chime in here? Yeah, please, Dr. King, go ahead. Because one, one of the things that I'm learning as, as I'm, you know, getting older as a black woman, that, that while we, my husband and I have made these conscious decisions as parents and as, as a couple and, 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 and consciously saying we're going to break the cycle, we're going to, you know, be the ones who, who continue to hold up the mantle because we know what it was like for us. But as a woman who grew up with a single parent, who grew up, you know, watching my grandma and all the women in my family uh, operate in these roles as leaders and, and filling the gaps for the, for the men that were not there, I had to restructure my own thinking around um, um, my partnership with my husband as a man and, and, and how we discipline and how we raise and how we're structuring our household. And so I've had to take a page out of, 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 of the book of, of Co-parenting is not, you know, is, is co-parenting is not, you know, me as the mother just having this role as a nurturer, but it's also me as a mother deciding that I have a role, my husband has a role, and I have to respect um, the, the power of, of, of his voice, the power of his presence, even though I wasn't used to that growing up. I didn't see that growing up, so we've had to, we've had to navigate this existence you know, really on our own, as Dr. Grady said, you know, I had to raise myself. Well, we're, we're having to, 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 to create this and write this story ourselves because we didn't see that as an example. But what we're noticing is that we're not the only ones. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in making the conscious decision to raise and to, and to be the family that we are, we're seeing that there are other families like us that have mm-hmm. made the decision to do it this way. And, and, and I think that there's so much more room for more of us to embrace this notion that it doesn't have to be me as a woman being a spearhead, me as a woman uh, uh, being the leader of, of, of our family. No, it is not. And it's not natural. And so I'm, I'm okay with uh, learning what, relearning and, and having to restructure my thinking around my place and my role and what, what, what my husband is as a man, as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a presence and as a, the leader of our, of our family unit. Um, there's so much more room for us to to to, to raise that that um, that paradigm because it's lost is is, is you know this, the idea of, of of what joint parenting looks like is lost whether you're a couple or not. Um, so and I love that. I think what you're saying is perfect, and it's it's simply all I'm saying, right? And 
in my opinion, mm-hmm. what you just said is simply all I'm saying, okay. and I just think it is natural to be dismissive of how the numbers make our community look. And when 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 that gets exactly. done, when when that gets done, mm-hmm. then it, it kind of lowers. Hey, you might want to be intentional to do something similar to what. You just talked about Dr. King. I think hearing Dr. Gray's story, I'm getting getting to know you, brother, but it sounds like you've done the same thing. And so I do fight back Mm -hmm. of people dismissing how vastly the numbers look in aggregate. Because, of course, there's always exceptions both ways. There are amazing single parents. There are amazing step-parent homes. But in aggregate, it's pretty clear the difference and we need more people being intentional, and I think it's not offered as a solution to some of what we're seeing. Mm. We can only put band-aids on these things when you have to take all of the suggestions that you, Dr. Grady, or Dr. King may make on this show, and you're the only one having to do it. That's hard. That's very hard. And again, I'm not demonizing anything. I'm just mm. real challenging the narratives in the way that we say them and leave them there to, to raise the culture is to have this dialogue like we're having now. Dr. Grady, uh, we're actually up against uh, my last break, and I still got Ty out there as well. So let me, unfortunately, let me go to a PSA I need to do here, go to a break, and Dr. Grady, you will have the floor coming out of this break. If y'all know anything about me, I love to introduce you to kings and queens helping to raise the culture. So I'm very excited to introduce our listeners to our latest sponsor, Isabel Drawn, as she puts on the Loud Whisper Reignite Your Voice Women Conference. Queens, if you want to change how you show up in the world, I highly recommend the Loud Whisper Reignite Your Voice Women's Conference, September 10th, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Get your tickets at isabeldrawn.com. Use promo code LOUD47 by August 31st to receive a discount on the conference. We are up against the break. We'll be right back. But all I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and t-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made $0 an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies' gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. And everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk, talk. They still know it's me. Because I look like money. Smell like money. Talk like money. Even walk like money. Craig, have you seen my shit? What's that for? Protection. Protection? Protection from who? Yeah, Smokey. I got to walk Smokey down to his house. Oh, man. Your mother and I never would have moved in this neighborhood if we had known you need a gun to walk down the damn street. 
You know how it is around here. Oh, no, son. That's not the way it is. You kids today are nothing but punks. Sissified. So quick to pick up a gun. You're scared to take an ass whipping. This one makes you a man. When I was growing up, this was all the protection we needed. You win some, you lose some. But you live. You live to fight another day. And you think you're a man with that gun in your hand, don't you? I'm a man without it. Put the gun down. Come on, put up your dukes. Now you're a man. Your uncle picked up a gun, too. He had to find out the hard way. Twenty-two years old. You've got a choice. He's all you need. All right? Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Tiffany, Dr. Tiffany King. This morning's discussion question, young, black, and violent, are youth triggered more than ever? Our special guest, Dr. Anthony Grady. Dr. Grady, I told you would have the floor, so go, ho- go ahead, King, as we hear a cool cut from the movie Friday. Again, I think just another example of Craig in a neighborhood where his father was involved, my grandfather was involved in my life, lived with him until I was eight. Most of my friends did not have that example. And my grandfather taught me lessons about throwing them hands, too. That was very different than the era we live in now. But your thoughts, again, some of what, what I'm challenging you with, as well as that cut, again, just love the dialogue. Thanks for being with us, King. Go ahead, brother. Man, first and first, bro, I tell you about this show. I love the exchanges because knowledge is power. And we all have different places of learning, and we share it, and it gives everybody else power. So I appreciate you for that. The thing is, is that I think that, and let me be clear, Tiffany said something about other people. I understand that other cultures experience the same thing depending on where they are and where they come from. And maybe if you're in the city or the rural or metropolis, whatever it is, the thing is that the focus is the numbers are exonerated when it comes to people that look like me. And, and so for me, being in the field, and I still go to homes, and I see these behaviors firsthand. Now, big data firsthand, it bothers me because now my question is, what is my role to assist? And sometimes that assistant is just sitting down saying, hey, I love you. That's a word that we don't use. And when kids know that you love them, they respond different. We don't use certain words anymore. What happened to I love you? I miss you. How are you doing? What's going on? Or a dad just hugging and kissing his kid saying, I love you. And it's not looked as, oh, they're kissing each other. That's something I just saw not too long ago. Oh, he mm-hmm. kissed his daughter on the lips. I kissed my daughters on the lips. They're 20, 26 or 24. And it's not intimate in the sense of that relationship. It's because they, love, they know me as a dad. And so when it comes down to that, you know, the one thing I told some people before is that when my daughters were doing things, the first thing I asked you, what did your mother say? Whether we agree on days or not, the question is always, what did your mother say? Because that Dope. respect to show that we're on the same accord is Dope. critical. Dope. And so, again, I do, I do agree that, you know, you know, you need active people, period. And, and Tiffany's right. You have to make choices at a certain age. But I, I really have to disagree sometimes with the fact is that we are now the challenge and the, and the, and the problem as parents because we, we have forgotten. And so we talk about grandparents. I look at how do these people have no education and just a sense of being and their family structure was somewhere decent. At least there was levels of accountability where at least you were thinking, even if you made poor decisions. These kids don't think. Everything is just done. 
And so if we don't get back to having these simple conversations, whether it's one parent, two parents, step parent, because I don't look at step parent. If you're the mother or dad in this relationship and you're not the biological, you're the parent because you stepped in Damn and right. took the ownership to help raise somebody else's kid. I get rid of that Damn word right. step parent. That's the dumbest Damn word right. to me because I'm, I'm a lot of kids' parents. And guess what? I didn't birth none of them, but guess what? I hold them to the same level I hold my kids because I did it with my daughter's friends. Because guess Love what? It. I'm the only male figure they may see. And so now, Love again, it. we have to get back to that. And, and I hate that village. The village is, is there, but the village does not take accountability to help each other because the village is scared of the repercussions because parents don't respect the village. I'm being honest. I could tell you, hey, sit your ass down. If I tell your mama, you're like, oh, Mr. Smith, Mr. Grady, don't do that, please. It's like, shit, go tell them. And then you, the parents will come back, like, why did you say that to my kid? And so now the question is, why should I even engage anymore if I get this kind of backlash? Same thing with teaching. So what I did as a practice, I told my kids during the summer, I kind of didn't hammer them as much. I kind of just kind of let them slide. I talked about the issues. When school starts back, I'm on their ass because guess what? Several systems are failing our kids, and it's not just families and communities. There are a variety of systems that are failing our kids and increasing in other areas like juvenile justice. They make a lot of money for a country that does not give them back what they deserve. So now the question is, how do we give them back what they need? And that's where this challenge is, and that's where you have these debates, because the intellectuals, as we try to sit here and help people understand the problem, we have to also be in the problem. You can't just sit at the table talking about what you see because you're educated, but you, you ain't never walked with a kid who had to walk home and he had to get a gun because he was getting jumped on, not because he wanted to shoot anybody, because he was fucking scared that he didn't want to get jumped on. Give you a great example. I use real stories. My uncle's niece got stabbed in the chest by a girl that was being bullied by her cousin. They walked in the beauty supply store. The girl can't butch man because she was scared. Stabbed right. this girl in the chest because of somebody else's fucking action because they wouldn't stop. This kid was scared. But now you want to prosecute and go to jail, but nobody's holding the kid accountable who was causing this kid to have it. Right. We deflect so much, man, and it bothers me because there has to be a level of accountability. So now what I, I do, I make myself accountable, said that I step in that role that, yeah, you're going to respect me. I don't care who it is. And I check kids in front of their parents, and guess what the parents say? Dr. Grady, we love you, because guess what? Dr. Grady loves you, too. Point blank, period. No exceptions to the rule. But we can't right. dismiss the fact is when we talk about black culture, black culture is played by a lot of different things that we kind of dismiss. And then we are heightened because it's economical, it's economical wealth. But we need to put a program right. for black men. Black males this, black males that. But my question is, why enough black programs for black males to be involved in? Because they too busy playing video games and sitting on the phone. So guess what? Make them go play some sports. They can't quit. See, now I see parents allow their kids to quit when they don't do well or they feel a certain type of way. Unacceptable. You got to stay practical. Got no, I love it. Thank you for the thoughts. Uh, let me reach out to Ty. Left, left her hanging for a couple seconds. I don't know if she has anything she wants to bring to the table. We only got about five minutes, but I want to at least get to her again. Uh, Ty, I know you've been taking all this in. You're one of our um, constant listeners, but any thoughts real quick? We got about five minutes, so just give me a, maybe a minute or two thought with anything you heard. We won't be. In, we probably okay. don't have time to answer I your second question. So sorry about that. <laughs> I, I know, right? So I'm just gonna let. I'm gonna do, okay. I just want to give you I, a thought. I just want to give you a thought because yeah, no, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, and and so um, so I guess like the thought I I agree a lot with Dr. Anthony Grady saying, um, just in regards to like that parent modeling. So initially I was gonna comment on like the black girl suicide, but. Um, I was going to ask more so about a big challenge about the adultification within our within our community, and because but he spoke so well just on like how like a lot of that is hey if my father's sagging I'm sagging because I was because I was basically thinking 
a lot of these young girls ha- are having like these body uh, these body image problems um, now because of social media, but they used to be very confident in that. But then if you look kind of on what we're seeing on social media, a lot of these black girls are being compared to grown women. But mm. that's been happening for a long time. Like we used to give Stacey Dash praise for being able to play Clueless as a grown woman or Gabrielle Union for bringing it on. And we, you know, we use that as praise to say, you know, um, black don't crack. But then what does that do for a young girl that's actually that age to where she doesn't look like that grown woman? And I do think that there's been like a history kind of of these modelings of the adultification of our kids. And I I think it's kind of coming up. And there's so much of a blur line between adult and child. But I can comment on so much stuff. So I just feel like I'm going to just keep sitting here listening and just taking in this wealth because this is great. You just gave me another topic. I mean, we mentioned it before, but we need to do that as a show. Uh, Dr. King, I'm going to volunteer you for my co-host. I'll give you a little break before we do it again, but I'm going to need you to help me co-host the adultification of our children. It is definitely worthy of discussion within our community. So thank you for those thoughts, if you will, Dr. Um, If you will, um, I'm sorry, Ty. Thank you for your call this morning. Uh, Dr. King, if you will. If you will, I'm going to give you one minute to uh, either a closing thought, let people know how they can stay in contact with you if you want to give that out. And I want to give the last couple of minutes to our special guest, Dr. Grady, to close us out. Dr. Grady, you got stuff in the background, so if you can mute for a second, that'll help. All right, Dr. King, just a quick thought um, on what we've been talking about. But I thank you for being here as a part of this conversation today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I just want to close out with just some thoughts on, the, on, the, on, the, on our original topic. You know, I think it is apparent that we are – as a society, you know, as a, as a you know, overall society, but also just within the black community, are, are dealing with a heightened sense of or an increased sense of triggering amongst our youth. And so I think that we have to, you know, take, you know, a page out of, you know, a few different history books when it comes to, you know, addressing this. You know, one, you know, certainly embraces this notion of, you know, getting back to some of the, the, the simple things in life that we've gotten away from because of all of the social media and media coverage that we're exposed to and just technology, period. So getting back to, you know, some of the simple things that we do with our time, which is just talking to each other, you know, spending time in, in recreation that's, you know, face-to-face with, you know, board games or, you know, whatever it may be, just getting back to some of those simple things that in terms of our time. But also embracing the, 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 the different um, ways that we as family, you know, engage and embracing the fact that whether you've got a two-parent household, a single-parent household, that there are ways for us as a village, as a people to, you know, come back to owning um, our communities and owning, you know, you know, where our kids are in terms of their development. And so I hope that, you know, conversations like this continue to take root in, you know, barbershops and our homes and our kitchen tables, you know, and our places of employment and that we, you know, aren't afraid to, you know, um, you know, look at ourselves and to, you know, you know, own the fact that, you know, we, we all have days where it's easier to, you know, let our kids sit with technology because we've had a long day, because we've got work to do, because we've got, you know, many things on our plates, but it's also moments. Let me get Dr. Grady in here, um, um, Dr. King, if you will, but Go thank ahead. you so much for mm-hmm. being on the show today. Dr. Grady, I'm, I, I got a minute and a half. The show's over, so you got to get make it quick, um, just a one-sentence thought, and then make sure you let people know how they can get in contact with your services. I'm sorry. Let me bring you back live, brother. Sorry about that. Go ahead, King. You're ready. You're live. One, 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 one second thought is we have to learn how to love our kids, tell them that we love them. We don't have to just show them. We have to tell them that we love them. The other thing is, the young lady said something real quick, role reversal. If the kids are looking, if the parents are looking like the kids, then there's a misconception of roles. We have to get back to identifying roles. Listen, uh, you can reach me. 
uh, via phone at 219-318-5572, or you can hit my website at hhhmllc.org. And continue to listen to this brother because he's always bringing great information. He's challenging culture. He's challenging fads. He's challenging science. He's challenging what people are saying that may have validity and none. We have to have these communicational dialogues. And to that caller, appreciate you because we need more of you guys talking about what you see. So I appreciate you guys. Thank y'all. Excellent show. See y'all next Saturday. I'm going to end the show with an amazing poem from Prince E.A. Some of y'all may be with me. I played this cut before, but I think it just aptly applies to today's discussion. We'll be right back. Well, I'm sorry. We'll see y'all next Saturday. All I ask is that you think. Did you know the average person spends four years of his life looking down at his cell phone? Kind of ironic, ain't it? How these touch screens can make us lose touch. But it's no wonder in a world filled with iMacs, iPads, and iPhones, so many eyes, so many selfies, not enough us's and we's. See, technology has made us more selfish and separate than ever. Because while it claims to connect us, connection has gotten no better. And let me express first, Mr. Zuckerberg, not to be rude, but you should reclassify Facebook to what it is, an anti-social network. Because while we may have big friend lists, so many of us are friendless all alone. Because friendships are more broken than the screens on our very phones. We sit at home on our computers measuring self-worth by numbers of followers and likes. Ignoring those who actually love us, it seems we'd rather write an angry post and talk to someone who might actually hug us. Am I bugging? You tell me, because I asked a friend the other day, let's meet up face to face. They said, all right, what time you want to Skype? I responded with OMG, SRS, and then a bunch of SMHs and realized, what about me? Do I not have the patience to have conversation without abbreviation? This is the generation of media overstimulation. Chats have been reduced to snaps. The news is 140 characters. Videos are six seconds at high speed. And you wonder why ADD is on the rise faster than 4G LTE, but... Get a load of this. Studies show the attention span of the average adult today is one second lower than that of a goldfish. So if you're one of the few people who are aquatic animals that have yet to click off or close this video, congratulations. Let me finish by saying you do have a choice. Yes, but this one, my friends, we cannot autocorrect. We must do it ourselves. Take control or be controlled. Make a decision. Me? No longer do I want to spoil a precious moment by recording it with a phone. I'm just going to keep them. I don't want to take a picture of all my meals anymore. I'm just going to eat them. I don't want the new app, the new software, or the new update. And if I want to post an old photo, who says I have to wait until Thursday? I'm so tired of performing in the pageantry of vanity and conforming to this accepted form of digital insanity. Call me crazy, but... I imagine a world where we smile when we have low batteries. Because that'll mean we'll be one bar closer to humanity.